Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much uh, for Your Word and for Your grace. And Lord, I just pray that You would um, now open Your Word to us, that You would bless Your people. Bless these uh, folks who have come to hear uh, Your Word this morning. I pray, God, that You would uh, just, the, the voice of the Good Shepherd would be the one that we that we each hear, uh, calling our names, pricking our hearts, uh, uh, finding uh, out those spots in our lives that are uh, not given to You. Uh, Lord, I, I just as, as I pray, I, I recall the the, the man um, that uh, that spoke to you. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And so, Lord, where we are in that place, I uh, pray that you would help our unbelief and uh, and just bless uh, bless your word and bless your people today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is uh, uh, part two of a, a series on John uh, five and six. And uh, if you did not make part one. I don't think you'll really miss a lot. It's not a. Um, they should stand alone pretty, uh, pretty well. The um, the reason we're going through John five and six is simply because I uh, had a uh, an opportunity to, to write for the, our Bible in a year blog on John five and six, and and as I read it, I just thought it was it was really really rich, and and um and and I was just struck. There's just so many things that I wanted to write on as I read through. Um, John five and six, and just it just sort of came alive. Interesting, and I just I don't know if you've had this experience. So I said, well, this when Gil said, do you, do you want will you do a four week class? I said, yeah, I'll do John five and six. That'll that'll be fantastic. It has been a real struggle. Like last last week was a real struggle. This week it was a real struggle. Um, and so I, in one sense, that is um, that that's. You know that's you know poor me, right? So it's been a, it's been such a struggle. But but another isn't that neat? That like that God, when you're sometimes you're reading God's word and just it just comes alive. And you just need it right there for for that moment. So so it has been. Um, uh, and, and then there's sometimes where you 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 read and you have to really chew on it for a while. So we'll see what the Lord gives us this morning. I, I have some some ideas about that, and uh, I hope that it is a, a, a blessing to you. Uh, so where we are, we're um, uh, John. Uh, 5, 17 through 47, which sounds like sort of a lot. Um, this is Je- this is Jesus' first big discourse in John. And uh, if you um, remember from last week, or if you um, if you weren't here last week, you should know that uh, what we looked at at the beginning of chapter 5 uh, was uh, the man who was healed uh, at the pool of Bethesda. So he was there for 38 years and, as an invalid, and he... Um, and he, Jesus healed him. Said, but he healed him on the Sabbath, and so the guy picks up his mat, and he's, he's really not even very grateful uh, to Jesus. He doesn't ask his name or anything like that. And the, they, um, they said, well, hey, you can't carry your mat. It's the Sabbath. He said, well, the guy who healed me, he told me to do it. So go, go find him, right? And, um, and so what, what Jesus, uh, is what we see is the Pharisees that they, they're okay. So. So you're, we're not going to get mad at you. We're going to get mad at the guy who told you to break the Sabbath. So they, they, they're upset about Jesus. And Jesus, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this. So this is Jesus' sort of response to um, that. The title of this class is, Did Jesus Claim to Be God? Um, and and I, I can remember when I was 15 years old, I was a counselor at Camp Greenville, which is uh, um, it's near Brevard, North Carolina. Uh, or maybe I was 16 years old. And um, I, my co-counselor, I was I, I was the co-counselor. He was the counselor, and and uh, and he looked just like Jesus. I mean, like he had he had this he had this big his beard and his long hair, and 
And he was very spiritual, but he um, but he, and he came across as like having a lot of insight. But he really he he said, "No, you need to know that Jesus never claimed to be God." I mean, you, when you read, he knew that I was sort of young in my faith and interested. He said, "Jesus never never claimed to be God." And um, and I I mean I that's not what I'd heard. So gosh, that was that was news to me and, and very convincing. So I don't know if you've ever heard people say that. I mean, I've certainly heard that um, uh, before. And I think that they must not have read this this portion of John, actually all of John. But um, uh, Jesus, I think the answer is going to be clearly yes, Jesus claimed to be God. We can see. Um, so we'll make that case. Has anybody ever heard of that? Anybody ever heard people say, you know, Jesus didn't claim didn't claim to be God? So, well, they're wrong. Okay, let's, um, uh, so we're gonna re- I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read it. Uh, if you'll bear with me and follow along, uh, that would be awesome. All right. So Jesus answered them. This, these are um, the Jews who were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And, at, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me, and that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me, his voice that you have never heard. 
His form you have never seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom He has sent. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who, uh, sorry, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believe Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? All right. So verse uh, 17. Jesus says, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Now they're upset about the Sabbath. So Jesus, you know the Sabbath. I mean, um, the... The world was created, right, in six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. And so, God instituted as one of the Ten Commandments the Sabbath, that um, that in honor of and in the in the mode of the pattern of uh, God and the work that He did and the rest that He took, that that people should rest on the seventh day of each week. Now, the problem with that is that. Does, does God still rest on the seventh day? If He does, who's watching the shop while He's sleeping, right? Like, hey, what's happening to the uni- happening to the universe when God is resting? Um, and Jewish uh, theologians, these sort of um, big big deal rabbis, got together, as I understand, at the end of the first century to sort of debate this, and um, and they decided that well, actually, God is always working. God, God is always working. Whether or not we can accuse Him of breaking the Sabbath, that's another issue. But, but, but God is always working. And, and, and in fact, we can't accuse Him of breaking the Sabbath because the Sabbath is under His dominion. He gets to decide what is right, and He's God. And so if He does it, then He's right, and it's, and it's okay. Um, which doesn't mean we couldn't, shouldn't keep the Sabbath. That's just, but but he, He's not guilty because it's under His dominion. So Jesus says... My Father is working until now, and I am working. But to them, Jesus just looked like a guy, right? Just like, just like you or me. So what's the problem with Jesus saying this? God, Jesus is procuring for himself the same rights and authorities of God the Father. If God can, God can get away with working on the Sabbath, and therefore, so can I. And that's, I mean, so, so Jesus might not have said the words, I am God, but it is without question, if we're taking this at face value, that it was, that he was heard by the Pharisees to be claiming equality uh, with God. Jesus said, I am, uh, my Father is working, and so I am working. In other words, if he gets to work, then I get to work. This is what um, this is what D. A. Carson, one of my favorite scholars, this is what he said. He said whether he breaks the Sabbath or not, 
God works continually. We all were agreed on that point. Assuming it, Jesus applies it to Himself. My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this self-defense to be valid, the same factors that apply to God must apply to Jesus. Either He is above the law, given to mere mortals, or if He operates within the law, it is because the entire universe is His. And that was not lost on the Jews. It's lost on me as I skim past it, thinking I've got to, I've got to prepare a class, you know. But um, and, or if I'm just reading, uh, I, I will miss I think the the profound implication of that. Of course, I mean because it sounds to me like I mean my father's working, so I'm working. Like I, I do what the father does. I mean this, this sounds like faithfulness to me, but he's actually putting he he's he is claiming something that wasn't if he was mere man, it was not his to claim. Um. And that was not lost on them. The Jewish authorities clearly understood uh, that Jesus was claiming equality with God. So he's breaking the Sabbath. Uh, he's, he's healing, which was considered work. And Jesus gets all over them throughout the Gospels about, um, you know, he says, you'll, if, if you've you, you got a mule that's stuck in the mud on the Sabbath, you're going to get the mule out, but here's this man who's stuck in this, and you don't want me to get him out. I mean, so he's just really... Um, Really, really hits them over and over again without breaking, healing breaking on the Sabbath. But he's also now here uh, with the man, the man that he healed at Bethesda. He, he's he's um, he's uh, ordering someone else to carry them uh, to to break the Sabbath, to carry his mat. Um, now the reason we don't, I, I think the reason we don't see them going um, further persecuting the man is because uh, work was considered anything that might otherwise be done. Throughout your other six days, and so if you, uh, he wasn't going to carry the mat throughout the other six days because he was an invalid. He couldn't carry his mat, so this was this was out of the ordinary. So they they kind of let him go. But Jesus, uh, Jesus, they were all riled up about Jesus, and um, and so and then and then again he he was calling God his Father. That was um, not just Father in a sort of subordinate sense, but in an equality sense because what he's saying is that I get to work when my father's working and he's working now. Who gets to break the Sabbath? And only only the one who has dominion over the Sabbath. And that's that's Jesus. Um, our own Gerald Bray, do you know that name? He's a scholar. He's he's uh, a member of the Advent. He's uh, at Beeson and, and other amazing places around the world. But um, this is what he wrote. He said, the name Son, talking about the Son of God, the name Son is meant to underline the identity of nature between him and God the Father. This is interesting because it's easy to think of as God the Son as God Junior, right? Le- sort of less, uh, less than God, um, or or um, so. I, however you want to say, it, less than God, God Junior. He says, "This is what Brett Gerald says." He says, "Between him and uh, it's underlining the identity of nature between him and God the Father, because just as a human son is a man." exactly the same way as his father is, so the divine son is God in exactly the same way his father is. So this is, he's not God Jr., he's God, right? So he's saying the same way that I'm a man just like my father, if I were my father, if I were a junior, then um, I'm not less, I'm, I'm a man like he is in nature, um, that God, is, God the son is like him in nature. So then in verses 19 through 23, Jesus kind of goes into the third person. He talks about the Father and the Son. Um, in verse 24, as we'll see, 
he then he then plants it on himself and goes into the first person. Everything he talks about the son goes there. This is what this is just a list of the things that he says, uh, and you can kind of read it through if you want. Um, but I'm going to make some comment on on those things. He says um, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. In other words, he's not just uh, like like for me like. Like, I report to the dean, but I have some freedom in what I can do, and I'll go back and I'll tell him what he does. Uh, he is, what he's saying is he's not just micromanaged. He is in complete he, step with the will of the Father. He is not just overseen or supervised by the Father. He is actually working at the, at the direction step by step. He cannot heal. He cannot eat. He cannot sleep. He cannot um, walk on water, do anything. Uh, apart from the will of the Father. Recall to mind John 15 for me, uh, I am the vine and you are the branches apart from me, you can do nothing. So what we'll see in in some of these lists is is our relationship to to God in Christ is similar in many ways to to Jesus' relationship with the Father as the Son. And that kind of of makes sense. So we'll we'll, we'll see that. But um, the Son relies totally... On the Father, I can do nothing of my own accord. Or actually, he says the Son, third person, can do nothing of his own accord. That's a remarkable statement. Um, if you let, if you sit on it and let it mean what it says, whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Uh, the Son doesn't do anything that the Father doesn't do. So, so it, whatever the Son's doing, the Father is doing that. They're in complete. Uh, accord. The fa- the, here's, this, here's the intimacy. Uh, the Father loves the Son. And He shows Him all that He Himself is doing. I, I, have, a, I have two sons, and I have a daughter too, and, and, and I love showing my children uh, about the things that I'm doing. And uh, like right now we're building a fence, and it's such a neat thing. I mean, he can't really, uh, my son can't really hammer very well, but it's fun to kind of show him how to do it, and, and, and I love that. But think... This is like that on a galactic level, right? You know, the the father is revealing everything to the son. He's talking about this. He loves the son, and because he loves the son, he is he is offering his whole self, all of his plan, everything that the father knows how to do. He is showing to the son. There is a love and an intimacy uh, there, and um, and and there's also an implied trust. The father trusts the son uh, because there is. Um, he, he's giving him everything. He, he is, uh, there's nothing that the Father is holding uh, back. So there is, um, there's a, a unity of, of purpose. There, there's one, they're of one accord. There's an intimacy. There's a trust. Uh, he says, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. So there's an equality of ability. An equality of purpose. The Father wants to give life, um, and and so the Son uh, gives life as well. Uh, now here's a really interesting: the Father judges no one, but He has given all judgment to the Son. So it's sort of I think related to that intimacy, that trust. Um, there is a self-emptying of His right of the Father's rights. Who has the who has the right to judge? The Father, the one who created. The one who set the law in place. And Jesus says that the Father has emptied His rights to judge and He has given them 
to the son. There's, you see, if you if you look at the relationship of the, the father to the son and the son to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit to the father and the son, each one wants to lift up the other one. They all want to take a back seat to the others. It's a remarkable thing. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see that. And here the father um, empties himself of his rights. And that to me, I mean, think of what, as, as we are drawn into this divine relationship uh, by salvation, the, the son has emptied his right to righteousness, to holiness, to the throne room of God and given it to us. Now he reclaimed that with us in the resurrection. There's a self-emptying love that the Son gives to us. And we see that, um, that this is a part of his pattern, um, uh, the pattern of the love of God, because the Father has emptied himself uh, to, uh, by giving all judgment to the Son. And he has done so to the end that all, this is, again, remarkable, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So there's the desire there's the father is that the father desires the honor of the son. Remember, she's taken a, a step back, and there is an equality of the honor that is due uh, to the son. The honor is that is due to the father the is in, due in equal measure uh, to the son. And I think the the most remarkable, the the heaviest hitting uh, statement here is is he saved the last. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the Father who sent him. Which another way to say that is, to honor the Father is to honor the Son. And to honor the Son is uh, to honor the Father. Uh, there, there, there's not just equality there, uh, there's unity. If there was only equality, it would be to say, like, you have a responsibility to love the Father and to love the Son. But what he's saying now, he's taking them and saying, it's actually the same thing. <coughs> to honor the Father is to honor the Son and vice versa. So he is, he's hit in this list, this, this description of the intimacy, the unity, uh, the equality of the Father and the Son. He has really said that the two are together. And then what he says in verse 24, he moves from the third person, Father and the Son, to the first person. And Jesus clearly and intentionally um, takes everything he's just said about the Son and he applies it to himself. And he says... Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He, the one who believes, does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I mean, that's the gospel right right there. Um, interesting thing, but this is the second time he, he has said, truly, truly, I say to you. And he'll say that again in just a, in just a moment, verse, 20, um, verse 25, the very next verse. It's truly, truly. The word there is what? You know what the word there? Truly, the Greek word. You do know it. It's uh, yeah. What's that? No, uh, that's uh, Latin is uh, yeah is truth. Yeah, it's amen. It's amen. 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 I say to you. And when do you say amen? At the end. And what what amen means is, it is so. We believe it. It is true. It is trustworthy. And I have heard, and I, and I will say, it's not that I've done all this research across all of um, Greco-Roman literature. Okay, I want, I want to say that. But I have, um, but I, but I have heard, I've read, uh, that there is no other account in all of literature at this time of anyone else putting the word amen at the beginning. 
Only Jesus. Because what he says is true. He has the, he's not just agreeing with what has been said. He's, he's saying the full authority. Again, he's procuring for himself the authority of, of God. Truly, truly, I say to you um, that he who, uh, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has uh, eternal life. Now, a few verses later, he, sa- he talks about um, sort of this uh, zomb- the Christian zo- zombie apocalypse, right? He's going to raise, raise the dead. Uh, God raises the dead. And um, he says that, that um, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who, ha- who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. If you took that on, it, on its own, it would be... a, a Faith by, I mean, uh, salvation by works, right? If you've done, uh, if, you, if you've done good, you get resur- um, resurrected to life. If you've done evil, uh, then you get resurrected to judgment. Uh, and what we know, um, because we've read all of Scripture, is that we know that we are all standing. Um, if that's the case, if we're based on salvation by works, that we're all being raised to the um, uh, to the resurrection of judgment, because we've all done evil. And so, who is resurrected to life? Those who have believed. Um, the word of Jesus and Him who uh, sent Him. That remember, in, um, you probably will cover it in a couple of weeks. But um, uh, in the next chapter, chapter six, um, verse twenty-eight, um, they asked Jesus, "What, what, what was, what must we do to be doing the works of God?" Remember what Jesus says. Um, Jesus answered them, "This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent." This is salvation by faith. If you put your faith in Christ, you do not pass, um, uh, you do not come into judgment, he says. This is verse 24. You don't come into judgment, but you pass from death to life. Throughout the pages of Scripture, one of the, one of the principles of, um, of judgment is that everyone stands for what they have done. And what Jesus is saying is, here, I'll st- I'm standing for you. If you believe in me, I'm standing for you. And you won't. You will pass judgment, uh, and you will go into life. You will. Um, you will move forward. Now, this this is so controversial. You imagine it's controversial in our age because we want. There's a very real and deep part of us that wants salvation by works. Wants what we do to be counted worthy. I mean, I do. But. But here, I mean, think about what this would have meant to the Jews, who have stood for thousands of years or hundreds of years into the thousands of years on the law of Moses the Ten Commandments what we do is counted righteousness and Jesus says forget it believe in me and I'll take care of the rest he eliminates the Ten Commandments not for accountability uh, but for right for our righteousness this is Romans 5 right righteousness has come uh, no longer by the law but by faith and he, he replaces the Ten Commandments with himself, and he assumes the authority to do so. Did Jesus claim to be God? Yes. It's unmistakable. If you let this say what it means, if you, if you, if you don't just whiz past it, if you really um, let it mean what it says. There's a, I should have grabbed it on the way in here. Um, there's a, as you walk through the, the debar Laban passageway, there, there's a couple of chairs have you ever noticed those, those chairs? Um, 
dark wood chairs and they have a, a needlepoint cushion. And one of them has this great thing, and it's actually there's a stained glass window in the back of the church that has the same thing. And it's a circle. And there's three points on the circle. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And inside of the circle, it says God. And in the circle, it says, is not. So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But then the, in the lines coming into the middle, it says is. So the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. So there, there are three distinct. So the, fa- the Son is not the Father, but He is God. They're both God. So this is, we get into the mystery of uh, the Trinity uh, in, in this. That how, can, how can they both be God and not be, um, not be each other? Well, that's, um, that's been the... Uh, many, many careers have been made on that question, and, and none have answered it in a really successful way. Um, but, uh, but, but I'll say that here's my favorite... I may have, you may have heard me say this before. Uh, I, I love to teach on the Trinity to the confirmation class. Um, and I, when I do, I, uh, I always bake brownies. And, um, and so I say to them, in brownies, so they're eating their brownies and they, and they love it. And I say, in, the, in brownies, there's three ingredients, right? There's water, and there's egg, and there's brownie mix, right? And they get that because, and, and it's funny because... There's lots of ingredients in brownie mix. But they get it. So there's three. There's water, there's egg, and there's brownie mix. And in order to have a brownie, you have to have all three. If you just had water and egg, that wouldn't be a brownie. If you just had brownie mix and egg, it wouldn't. It, you have to have all three. And when you, in order to make a brownie, but when you, when you eat, if you, had, if you had any less than those three ingredients, you wouldn't. And, and we don't get into the fact that there's oil also. But they, um, <laughs> unction, I don't know. Um, but the um, so then um, so then when you eat that like you you're eating all three but and it wouldn't be what it is without those distinct ingredients but you have um, but 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 it, you're tasting them in the whole they are they are working together to make make that make it what it is make it a brownie so I don't know if that helps you at all I should have made brownies for you guys right <laughs> so then in um, the next uh, few verses he he talks about uh, witnesses. And he lists out um, uh, uh, several witnesses. Jesus acknowledges, um, and he says, I, again, he reiterates, I can do nothing of my own accord. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Um, because I seek not, the, not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Which is not to say that his own will is flawed. But to say, again, he, he is, as the Father has emptied himself of his right to judgment and given it to the Son, so the Son has emptied himself of his claim on uh, his own will and 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 defers to the Father. They they just want. It is so remarkable to see the dance that happens in the Trinity. They just they just want the other one to be at the front, always. And he says, if I he acknowledges according to your own law, he's talking to the Jews. According to your own law, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. If I, if, if somebody accuses me of theft or or murder or whatever, and it is they've only got one witness. According to their law, they couldn't they couldn't um, stand. If I had if two or three accused me of that and I and I, I was the only one saying I didn't do it, I was the only one claiming my own alibi. I'm in big trouble because only one witness is is uh, is, is not deemed worthy or valid. But he lists out. I counted five: um, John the Baptist, and then he lists the works that the Father has given me. Testify. 
the Father Himself testifies, the Scriptures testify, and then He then He narrows that to Moses, which is really just you know hitting them sort of below the belt. Um, so John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest man ever born of a woman, the sort of the last and final uh, of the prophets before Jesus, um, standing certainly standing in in line with uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elisha and Elijah. Um, John the Baptist, whose job was to um, be the voice in the wilderness saying, uh, uh, make way for the Lord. Um, And uh, he he pointed to Jesus. And and people went out to him, and he had a lot of respect. Although, remember, it wasn't the Jews that killed John the Baptist, it was Herod. Um, So he he, he held a lot of respect. He was calling people to... Uh, repent, but he wasn't—he wasn't claiming to be the Messiah. People were asking him. He said, "No, I'm not the Messiah." <coughs> but John clearly, despite the respect that he had, he clearly pointed to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And and Jesus has not, let alone John the Baptist, the works themselves, the works of the fathers. Who could be doing this? I mean, Nicodemus comes to him and says, "We know that you're from God because nobody could do the works that you're doing if God was not with him." The works, and he was a Pharisee. Uh, the works uh, themselves testifies. You think about his his healing. Uh, John talks about the signs. He talks about um, the uh, the water uh, being turned into wine and the the little girl being raised from the dead and 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 on and on. You think about like the woman at the well and he knew everything about her. I mean, just on and on, uh, walking on water, silencing the storm, uh, over and over. Uh, the works that the Father has given me testify uh, that my testimony is true. What is my testi- What am I testifying to? That I am God. That Jesus is God. The Father Himself testifies. Jesus says, uh, "When did He testify? Remember, at His baptism. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." Uh, he testified again at the Transfiguration, uh, and then again He would testify um, when the I believe it's in John. I, I uh, I should have looked this up, but when the Greeks come to him and say, "Sir, we wish to come to Andrew and say, "Sir, we wish to see Jesus." Do you remember that? And Jesus, instead of saying, "Well, I've got an appointment at uh, three, but I can see you after that," he says, "You know," he says, "The time has come." In other words, many people. I mean, the, the nations now are seeking me, um, and which is, is uh, the plan is unfolding. Um, and then there's thund- this thunderclap. And, he, and, and God speaks, and they said, oh, it, it thundered, but you know, Jesus clearly says it was, it was the voice of the Father. So many, several times throughout Scripture, the Father speaks over the Son, uh, and usually the Holy Spirit is present in some way as well. And Jesus says, the Scriptures speak to me. I mean, of course, we think about the, the road to Emmaus uh, after the resurrection, Cleopas and the other disciple, which is presumably was Luke, um, Luke chapter 24, and they, um, they're walking, and Jesus uh, appears to them, and they're sad. And Jesus says, "Hey, you know what's what are you sad about?" And they they don't recognize Jesus. You remember this? And and um, they said, "Are you, are you where have you, where have you been? Are you dead or something?" And I mean, yeah, yeah, actually, I was. But the um, the um, the uh, he says, "Are you the only one that doesn't know what's happened about to this Jesus? We we thought we had hoped he would be the Messiah." And Jesus says, "You fools." <laughs> And I'm sure they did it in the most loving way, but he says, you fools. And he says, let me tell you about the scriptures. And, and, and this is the greatest Bible study ever, right? And so uh, he goes through the Old Testament and all, talks about all the ones that pointed to him. It's about, a, I mean, it's, you know, for two or three, four hours on the road, seven-mile journey uh, to Emmaus. And then they break bread together, and their eyes are open. They recognize Jesus, and he disappears.
But um, Jesus said, all of the scriptures uh, point to me. What what scriptures do we think of? I mean, gosh, it's over and over again. There's some that point directly to Jesus in word, and there's some that more it's more like he fulfills. Um, Jesus is um, great David's greater son, as the, as the hymn says. He is uh, like David, but he is greater than David in so many ways. Uh, he is like Moses, but he is greater than Moses in so many ways. But Moses pointed uh, straight to him. David pointed straight to him. Isaiah, certainly we think of Isaiah 53, but there's over and over. Uh, there's ways, things that talked about uh, the Messiah coming, and there are things that talked about, um, so didn't seem to be about the Messiah, but actually Jesus ended up fulfilling. Um, and that would be an, a remarkable study just to go uh, through that. It's all. It would. It would be sort of conjecture as to what Jesus was talking about on the road to Emmaus, uh, but we certainly can see those passages. And then Moses, um, Jesus said he wrote about uh, me. Um, again, Jesus fulfilled the law. He lived the law perfectly. But there's a time at the at the end of Moses' life where he is um, he's praying and he he's praying that God would raise up a, another prophet like him. That um, the sheep would, uh, that the people would not be like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus uses that imagery, and, and we think that, and, and in and in, um, and in a real way, he's talking about Joshua. Uh, Moses is talking about Joshua, uh, who would lead the people into the place that God had prepared for them, uh, who would uh, lead them in battle, who would point them uh, to God the Father. And you know that Jesus. Uh, is the Aramaic for the word for the name Joshua. Jesus and Joshua is the same uh, name. It means uh, the Lord saves. And so, um, so we see that uh, what the sh- in the way that Moses pointed to the prophet like him, Joshua, uh, who would um, lead his people into the place they have prepared for him, so Jesus is the greater Joshua who leads us in, uh, to salvation, the place that God has for us. And so, um, and Jesus just says, if you didn't believe the writings of Moses, how are you going to believe my words? It's a real uh, lesson for us. And we're going to go on. I'm off next week because the, uh, I'm not off, but I'm uh, the class is off next week for Memorial Day. And then we're, we'll do chapter 6, the two weeks after that. Um, when, um, when people are just starting out in their faith and they, what should I read the Bible? A lot of people say the Gospel of John. And I, um, I've always steered people away from the Gospel of John because of chapter 6. Um, I, it, is, it is tough and, and wonderful. Um, and I've been seeing it in, in, in a new light. So anyway, uh, any um, let's see. We've got about three minutes for... Well, maybe we don't. But the, uh, um, my, my clock says we have uh, three minutes for... Any, any questions or comments, thoughts? All right, good. Yeah, yeah, yes. Pardon me. Where do you lead new believers? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I I generally point them to Luke. I think Luke is just is very. I mean, it's not less difficult, but I, I think he's just clearer. Um, uh, in in well, John's clear, but it's just it's just in a different way. Um, Jesus' feet hardly touch the ground in John, and so um, uh, but he he. He he's very grounded in a way that we can relate to in Luke. Um, good. Anything else?
All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for this. Thank you for your unity. Thank you you did claim to be God, uh, Jesus, when you were here, and that you are God sitting at the right hand of the Father, uh, interceding for us. We pray that you bless us uh, as we move forward uh, in our faith, uh, that we might be used of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.